Good morning, ABC family. We're so glad that you tuned in and joined us today. It's a privilege to be your church home, and we want to dive into the Word again this week like we usually do. And before we do that, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2. So as you're opening your Bibles there, let me ask you a question. Uh, do you ever wonder if God is paying attention to the details of your life? Like, does He care about your circumstances? Little old me? <laughs> I wondered about that earlier this month. You see, I, in the early days of the new year in January, I lost my wedding ring. And I realized it on a Saturday, uh, mid-morning, and I had been doing a lot of things. And all of a sudden, I looked down and it's like, it's not there. Oh, no. After 29 years, it's gone. Now you might be saying, no, dude, you've had it on your hand for 29 years. How can, you, how can it not fit? Well, I had just had it repaired, and they added some gold, and in the process, it, it ended up coming back too small. I picked it up and took it before I tried it on, so my bad. So I've been wearing it on my pinky, and it doesn't fit properly there. So until I get it resized, it's just not an ideal fit. Anyway, I had just taken out the trash, loaded the trash into the back of my vehicle, and so I thought, oh, I know what I need to do. I just need to sort through all the trash. So I did that carefully. Nothing. Then I retraced my step. Where was I before that? I had just cleaned out the pool strainer. So I went to the pool strainers and checked them. And I checked where I had dumped the leaves out and nothing. And then I remembered, oh yeah, I had taken the Christmas tree out down the hill and thrown it on the trash pile down there to be burned later. So I went down there and began to look around. And at this time, you know, there's three, four inch tall grass. And it's like, I just don't know if I'm gonna find it. And I had been pleading, Lord, help me find this. And I had a sense uh, of peace, like, yeah, you'll find it. But that day I didn't. A Couple of days later, I looked again, retraced all my steps again, nothing. And then it dawned on me. I had overheard Jeff Erke talking about his son having a metal detector. So I asked Jeff, hey, can I borrow that metal detector? Thinking that's gonna be the clear ticket. So he loans it to me, I take it, and I retrace all my steps again, everything that I just talked to you about, nothing. So I'm laying down that night on my bed, talking to my wife, we're about to pray, and I just said, Lord, I, th I think this thing is gone. What in the world? And my pillowcase had slid off my pillow, so I'm adjusting that, and out of my pillowcase pops the ring. <laughs> I was like, what? Are you kidding me? So was God in that? I think so. But he sure didn't answer it in the way that I had anticipated that he would. Well, today, as we look at the circumstances of Jesus and his family in Matthew chapter 2, this passage is going to speak into that a little bit. Like, does God actually care about the details of life? There's a, there's a passage in 2 Chronicles 16, it's verse 9, and it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless to him. Is that really true? Is that still true today? Like, are God's eyes going back and forth on the earth, looking at his people so that he can send strong support to them? Is that true? Does he know the condition of my heart? Because that's kind of scary. And is his support for me based on the condition of my heart? Well, if that at all piques your interest, lean in, because God's going to use this passage today to address some of these questions for us. So as we look at 
Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Let's pause and let's pray and invite him to speak to us. Father, we, <laughs> we're here, your people, and we hear this truth from your word that your eyes run to and fro on the earth so that you might give strong support to those whose heart is blameless before you. And Lord, we want that to be true of us. We want your strong support. In fact, we need it. And we pray now that as we open and read and meditate on and make observations of this passage from Matthew chapter 2, that by your spirit, that same spirit that inspired these words, we would be able to receive them and that you would minister to our hearts and answer these questions for us so that we might live faithfully as your disciples, reflecting your glory on this earth. We ask it, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. We'll begin reading at verse 13. Now, when they had departed, they, who are the they? They are the Magi. So last week, Jeff taught us about the curious Magi, and he exhorted us to be curious Christians, to keep looking for Jesus. And Matthew continues the story. He says, when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So what did you hear? as we read through these 11 verses? What caught your attention? Did, was there things that were repeated, things that were um, strange to you, things that were unusual? Did you hear certain voices? Was there a particular conflict that stuck out? You see, there's a general pattern to this passage. One, God speaks, and he speaks in a dream. There are three dreams, and he speaks so clearly to Joseph. Second in the pattern, Joseph obeys. Whatever he hears from the angel or whatever he receives from God through that dream, he directly obeys exactly as he has been commanded. And the third, his life and the life of his family, his wife Mary and their child Jesus, their lives are preserved and prophecies are fulfilled. 
So Matthew has put these stories together intentionally because he's writing to an audience that's primarily Jewish, just like he is. He's writing a, a gospel to his own people, and he's constructing it in a very intentional way to communicate to them that Jesus is the long-awaited Christ. He is the Messiah that we have been waiting for. He is the King of the Jews. You see, Matthew's readers will, were well-versed in the Old Testament. They were familiar with the law and the prophets and the writings. And Matthew has been constructing a real clear case here. Way back at the beginning of his gospel in chapter 1, he starts with this genealogy, and he demonstrates clearly through generations that Jesus is the one who comes through the line of David and ultimately from Abraham. He is the one genealogically speaking, that the prophets said would be the line from whom the Messiah would come. They would have been familiar with the prophecies of the virgin conception. They would have been familiar with the prophecies that this one was to be born in Bethlehem. All of these things are coming true in the person of Jesus. And in today's passage, three more prophecies, all being made true by Jesus. Without a doubt, Matthew is saying, the one we've been waiting for, our Messiah, our King, Jesus is this one. And it's the kingship of Jesus that Herod tried to resist as he kills all the children in Bethlehem. Even before Jesus was out of diapers, there's a hit put on him. And there's a clear conflict of the kingdoms, the, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the Lord and his Christ. The kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. The Apostle John says it this way in chapter 1 of his gospel. He says, The true light was coming into the world. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the true light. He's the king of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. This is what Matthew was aching for his own people to understand. And that's why he constructs his gospel in this way. So the first thing he wants them to know is that the long-awaited Messiah is Jesus. Secondly, he wants them to know that Jesus is the new Moses. The Jewish people were waiting for God to make good on his promise that he gave them through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 18, verse 15 says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him that you shall listen. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. Now you say, well, how is it that Jesus is like Moses? Well, like Moses, Jesus is a prophet. He is one who speaks forth truth from God, of God, to the people around him. He's also a lawgiver. Moses received the law on the mountain of God, on Mount Horeb, from God, the Ten Commandments, clear commands. And Jesus gives clear commands from God to his people as well. And thirdly, like Moses, Jesus is a mediator of a covenant. Now Moses was the mediator of what we call the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, the law, the Ten Commandments that were written by the finger of God on stone. 
And that covenant goes like, if you obey these Ten Commandments, you will receive blessing. If you disobey these Ten Commandments, you will receive curses. That's how our relationship is going to go. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant that says this, Jesus perfectly obeys all Ten Commandments as my substitute. And he lays down his innocent life on Calvary's cross and his blood makes payment for my sin. And if I respond to this good news in faith, in personal trust, in belief, then I receive forgiveness for my sins, I'm declared righteous before God, and I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see why that in comparison with Moses, Jesus is worthy of greater glory? The author of Hebrews says this of him in comparison with Moses. In chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Have you ever walked into an architectural wonder and just marveled at the beauty of any given building? Well, that's something to, to marvel at. But then consider the creative mind that designed it and the creative hands that put it together. That's the comparison that the author of Hebrews is saying. There's a different degree of glory between Moses and Jesus. Jesus is worthy of greater glory. Similarly, like Moses, Jesus' life is preserved as an infant. Now, if you remember way back in the tail end of Exodus chapter 1 and the beginning verses of Exodus chapter 2, Moses is born at a time when Pharaoh is afraid of the Hebrew people and he's put out a command that when the Hebrew children are born, um, the, the babies, the sons, are to be cast into the Nile, but the girls are to be preserved alive. And fearing uh, this, Moses' mother puts Moses in a little basket that she had made, places him in the Nile, Pharaoh's daughter finds him floating there amongst the reeds as she is bathing, has compassion, brings him in, and then calls one of the Hebrew women to act as his nurse and brings him in. So Moses is preserved in Egypt, even raised in the house of Pharaoh the king. And similar to this, in today's passage in Matthew, we see that Jesus escaped the deadly schemes of Herod in Egypt thus fulfilling the prophecy. Do you see the, the care and the skill and the craft that Matthew is using as he puts together his gospel for the people of Israel? God used Moses to deliver his people from bondage to Pharaoh, and God is using Jesus to deliver his people from bondage to sin. That's what his name means. We just heard that in chapter 1. Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Moses delivered people from an earthly enemy and brought them toward freedom in the promised land. Jesus delivers people from an eternal enemy, an idolatrous heart and the resulting breach in relationship with God. And he brings us to freedom in Christ as our king. These things would have been clearly understood by Matthew's audience, would have been deeply meaningful to them and greatly persuasive. They would have no problem hearing this evidence and saying, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the new Moses. 
So let's look even deeper than that. That is the essence, that's the core that Matthew is wanting all of his readers, including us, to understand. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. But if we look deeper into this, are there more things that we can learn about God? Are there more things that we can learn about how God interacts with his people? And I think there are. First, we can see that the Lord sees, hears, and knows. God sees our deeds. He hears our prayers, even our thoughts, and he knows our circumstances. Let's look again at verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Now bear in mind, this event has not happened yet. Herod is not searching for the child yet, but God knows the thoughts of Herod. He hears the speech that Herod is speaking to his servants and to other people in the kingdom. And God knows this and he understands the circumstances of Jesus, his mom and his dad. And he understands their circumstances. Friends, church, God knows your circumstances too. The Lord is fully aware of your situation and he's aware of the condition of your heart. And we can take comfort in this. He sees us in our place. He hears our cries and he knows our pain. Now you might be saying, but I've done evil. I'm, I'm ashamed and as a result, I'm, I'm hiding from God right now. Well, that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. You know, when they sinned, when they disobeyed God and they took and ate from that fruit that was forbidden, then their eyes were opened. They recognized they were naked. They, they put together loincloths of fig leaves and they hid. And what was God's response? He's walking through the garden calling out. He's, he's seeking even while we hide. And this is always an invitation to repent our sin, to confess our sin, to renounce our sin, and to rise up forgiven, to rise up being declared righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we can learn from this is that the Lord sees, hears, and knows our circumstances. Secondly, the Lord sends strong support. Firstly, sometimes God sends angels. That's what we run into here in this. He says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So what exactly is an angel? Now, shortly, in a few weeks, we will get to chapter 4 of the book of Matthew. And in verse 11, we will hear this. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You see, Jesus, on the heels of his temptation by the devil himself, Jesus passed that test by quoting scripture and the devil flees from him and then the angels come and minister to Jesus. Later in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus brings a little child to him and he says, you need to take care of these little children. And he says this, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father. So from that, it seems like every little child has at least one angel assigned to watch over and protect it. And in Hebrews 
chapter 1, verse 14, the author of Hebrews here is drawing a comparison between angels and Jesus, and he says this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So biblical definition of what an angel is, is a ministering spirit sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Little children, maybe bigger people too, right? So that's what an angel is. And sometimes God's strong support comes in the form of an angel. One scholar says this. He defines an angel as a special servant of Yahweh, the Most High God, who helps accomplish God's will amongst his people. Special servant sent to help accomplish God's will among his people. So sometimes God's strong support shows up in the form of an angel. Sometimes God's support shows up through dreams. Sometimes God speaks to us through dreams. Biblically speaking, what are dreams? One scholar says this, he says that they are vehicles of divine revelation. A dream can be a, a vehicle through which God speaks. Well then the question is, has God always spoken to his people through dreams? Numbers chapter 12 verse 6 says this, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions, and I speak to him in dreams. That's the New International Version. So it seems like there's a link between prophets, people who are speaking on behalf of God to the people of God, and visions and dreams. Those three things seem to be intertwined as part of God's plan to communicate to his people. Well, then the next logical question is, well, does God still communicate with his people through dreams? We see it here three times in this short little passage. Is that still how God is at work in this world? And biblically speaking, the answer is he sure intends to. Uh, recall, if you will, Peter's sermon from Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Um, the people are filled afresh to the point of overflowing with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in languages that they previously did not know. And the people, the townsfolk look around and say, they're just drunk. And Peter says, no, they're not drunk. Instead, this is what happens. Peter says, and in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Remember, this is after Pentecost. Now everybody who has personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior is filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Note the link between the Holy Spirit coming, the prophecy dreams and visions. The idea here is that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be forgiven and be filled with the Holy Spirit, enabling them to hear from God and having heard to prophesy, to proclaim the things of God. Now by God's grace and according to his word, what I'm doing right now is a form of prophecy, explaining to you the things of God from the word of God to you, the people of God. Sometimes dreams help us apply scripture. Today's passage, we see that God shows up to Joseph three times in dreams. And as Joseph obeys what God has told him in this dream, 
prophecy is fulfilled, scripture is applied. I had a similar situation uh, a few years ago. It was in um, maybe 2009 or 10. I woke up early, as was my habit, and I spent time praying and in God's word. And it's dark out, it's probably 4.30 or 5 in the morning, and I had drifted off to sleep. I was in a season of my quiet times where I would either sometimes start with the word and, and almost read the word exclusively in very little praying. Well, at this point in my life, I, was, I had flipped that. I was praying more than reading the word. And I drifted off to sleep, and I hear my name, and I hear Matthew 4.4. And I'm startled awake, and it's like, Matthew 4, 4, what does that say? So I had my Bible, and I opened it up, and it says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I just took that as an exhortation to spend more time reading the Word. It's time for your quiet times to have more balance. Um, praying's not bad, but praying without focusing on the Word is unbalanced. And sometimes God speaks to us in a way that helps us apply Scripture. And sometimes dreams warn us to change our ways. I had a conversation earlier this week with somebody from our congregation who just felt a burden to come into the office and explain a dream that she had had, though she didn't know why. And it turns out that I ended up hearing it, and that was a part of, I think, my research in being able to tell you about how God can continue to speak to his people through dreams. This particular woman heard through a dream that the path she was on was leading to destruction and that if she didn't change her ways, she was going to lose everything. She took that to heart. She changed her ways. She now has no longer been addicted to drugs. She's getting her family back and God is restoring her. And I believe that God communicated to her personally in a dream that the path she was on was leading to destruction. She heard that, received it, and now is ordering her life according to the scriptures. So sometimes God's strong support shows up like an angel. Sometimes it shows up in a dream. And you might be saying, Gerald, this whole idea about dreams and prophecies is weird to me. What am I to do? Well. What you always do. We look to the Word, and what does the Word tell us we are to do? In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 and verse 3, we get these clear commands from Paul. He says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and their consolation. Are we a people who earnestly desire the spiritual gifts? That's a valid question for us to wrestle with here at, as, a, as a church. Do we long to prophesy? We're clearly commanded that here in the, in the Word. And according to this passage, that's what God would have us do. We're to pursue love. We're to earnestly desire these spiritual gifts, especially that we might build one another up through the prophetic gift, through encouragement and exhortation and consolation. So that's the first thing I would have you do, is lean into God's Word and listen to what He says about how we are to live as a church community. Secondly, God's Word tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 19, He says, Do not quench the Spirit. 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Is it possible that we're a people who quench the Spirit? Do we have a tendency to put God in a box the size of our comfort zone and to disbelieve that He can work in any other way outside that box? Thereby failing to recognize what it is Him that's actually speaking to us in an unusual way. Are we tempted to believe that now that we have the Bible, God no longer speaks to us in any other way, through dreams or through visions? The author to Hebrew opens his letter with this. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Some take that and say that God no longer speaks through prophets. He no longer speaks in the ways that He used to speak because He has spoken to us through the Son and He has given us His Word and now He speaks to us through His Word. To that I say yes and amen. Absolutely God speaks to His people through, through His Word. But what I don't hear is that He no longer speaks to us in these other ways. Is it not probable that a God who has Genesis 1 on his resume is able to speak to his people in whatever way he wants? If he can speak the entire creation into existence, he can speak to your heart or my heart through the Word, through another person. In the past, Jeff Zippy reminded me of this week, God used people, he spoke through a donkey, he wrote with a finger on the wall. He used angels and visions and dreams and preachers. Bottom line is, our sovereign God can speak to us in whatever way He wants. And He does. Consider these stories. If you do a little bit of internet research, consider these stories of how God shows up to people who are seeking Him, who are seeking to understand if there is a true God, and if so, what's His name? There is a person from northern Nigeria, his name is Muhammad. Now, he is not the prophet, but he was practicing the Muslim faith. And he did not just have one dream of Jesus Christ, he had seven. He's a son of a prominent Fulani herdsman, and Muhammad had studied the Quran in depth at several Muslim schools and was preparing to leave for the advanced studies in Saudi Arabia when he experienced a series of dreams that convicted him and convinced him of the deep love and lordship of Jesus Christ. Although his father tried to kill him in the wake of his conversion, Muhammad survived the various attempts on his life, and he persevered in his Christian walk, eventually leading his father, who once had tried to kill him, leading him to faith in Christ. God showed up to Muhammad in a dream. Similarly, there's a woman named Dini. Dini also came to faith in Christ as a teenager in her native Indonesia. Feeling let down by family, friends, and society, and drifting into rebellion, Dini, nonetheless, yearned to know God and to please Him. On the night of Lailutar Kodar, when Muslims around the world make individualized prayers to Allah, Dini experienced the vision of Jesus Christ, who appeared before her and told her to follow Him. Dini, understandably, was hesitant. As a Muslim, she realized that following Christ would make her a Christian. But she overcame her fear and committed her life to Christ that same night, 
peace filled her heart, even as persecution began. Now there's a common denominator that we can observe from this. God tends to speak through dreams to those who are seeking as best that they can to know and to please him. So my question stands, church. Have we put God in a box? Have we stopped seeking? Have we stopped being curious? Now, it's likely a fair statement to say that God speaks to people through dreams more regularly in places where there is a drought or a famine of his word. But this doesn't mean that God can't speak to us through dreams here in America when we have one or two Bibles on every shelf. Bottom line, church, we are to seek God, to pursue love, and to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now you're saying, okay, I, I hear your exhortation. I hear these anecdotes of how God has still been using dreams to communicate with people. But I, you've got to hear that in my past, I've been exposed to abuse by people who have gotten this wrong. Is it still possible that people get this wrong? And are there some cautions here? And to that, I say absolutely. We even find a picture of that in Jude verse 8. This is the, the, the epistle right before Revelation. Jude is addressing and speaking of false teachers that have crept into the church, and he says this, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So these people, these false teachers, are relying on their dreams, and because they're relying on their dreams, they're living in a way that's contrary to Scripture. To that I would say these dreams did not come from God because God will never communicate directly to you in a way that would have you live contrary to what he has already revealed in his word. So the next valid question is this, how do I discern if any dream that I get is from God? A couple of weeks ago, I had a wonderful conversation with a, a wise pastor from Paso Robles who decades ago was even in leadership here at Atascadero Bible Church. And he helped me understand some things about dreams. He said, is your dream light, bright, or vivid? If so, it's probably from God. Well, why is that? Because the scripture says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Then he said, is your dream set at night? Is it dark? Is it scary? These are probably not from God. These may even be of a demonic influence. And to that Christian, I would just say, you have the authority to say, Jesus Christ rebuke you, be gone. I literally have had to do that multiple times in my own bedroom for myself or for my wife. We just rebuke the evil spirits of darkness and command them to be gone. But here's, here's the clincher. Dreams always call for a response. They are always an invitation to learn more, to lean into the Lord in prayer and to seek him, even to seek wise counsel, confer with mature members of the Christian community. So what I'm saying, church, is this. If you come and tell me or any other leader at ABC that you've had a dream and you want to talk about it, we're not going to look like you're crazy and tell you to go away. We want you to lean in. The one exception to that is if you come and tell me that you had a dream about me and that we're supposed to be together, I'm going to filter that one through Lisa right quick. So, no. 
But we are saying we believe God still speaks through dreams, and we won't think you're crazy if you want to come and talk and pray about what dream you have received. And lastly, there's an encouragement to compare the content of your dream to the truth of God's word because God will never tell you directly in a dream to do or say anything that would be contrary to what he has already revealed about himself and about you in scripture. So, how is this strong support? God sends angels, he sends dreams. How is this strong support applied to my life? Well, in today's passage, we see that Joseph directly obeyed everything that he was told by that angel in those dreams. He, told them, he was told to rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until further notice. And that's exactly what he did. He didn't even wait for the night to pass. He got up, he took the child and his mother and they fled by night and they stayed in Egypt until he got further direction from the Lord. And through that, the life of Jesus was preserved. And through preserving the life of Jesus, God was preserving his own plan of salvation. So church, regardless of your circumstances, obedience to God and his word are always your best move. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You want Jesus to make his home with you? Keep his word, read it, understand it, and live it. That's his promise. There will be opposition when you seek to keep God's word, but there will never be regret. It's always your best move. Fourthly, we learn that the, what the Lord says eventually becomes reality. Everything that was communicated to Joseph in this passage eventually came to pass. And this is so much more than God just calling his shot. God did not preserve Jesus' life indefinitely, but he did preserve him until his work on earth was complete. He preserved Jesus' life until the fullness of time when he had to endure the cross to secure our salvation. Listen to Galatians 2, verse 16 and verse 21. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have been believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law will no one be justified. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Jesus had to die. That's the only means by which you and I have hope for forgiveness for our sins. Only means by which we could ever be declared righteous before God. So maybe you feel like in your circumstances, you're still in bondage like Israel was in Egypt. Maybe your circumstances are heavy. Maybe your path is lonely. Maybe your workload is overwhelming. Your heart may be broken. You may even be depressed. You may feel enslaved to your addictions. And to that, to you, right there, I say, the Lord sees, he hears, and he knows. And he invites you to come to him. Jesus himself says, 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So church, that's the good news today. God's eyes do go to and fro on the earth so that he might send strong support to his people in their time of need. And that's his invitation for you today. So wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are, know that God sees, he hears, and he knows, and he invites you into relationship with him, that his strong support might come to you so that you would live in a way that glorifies him. Let me pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you that these things are true. I thank you that that's how you have worked from the early days of your people in the Old Testament on through to the days of Jesus that we just read about through the Gospel of Matthew, on through to today as we hear that you are still powerfully at work sending strong support for your people right in the midst of their circumstances wherever they are. So Lord, would you please give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might recognize your strong support and lay hold of it and walk in obedience to you so that our lives may count. Our lives might bring you glory. Our lives might accomplish all that you intend for accomplish until our work on earth is done, until you take us home to be with you and tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, pour out your blessing on everybody that calls ABC Church their home today. And as you do, be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week.